Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Elle Russ here, hosting today's episode of the Primal Blueprint Podcast. I'm here with Lindsay Taylor. You guys might have heard her many times. She's the senior writer and researcher at the Primal Blueprint, and she's been a consultant editor and recipe developer for several of Mark Sisson's best-selling books. And she's the co-author, along with Mark, on the Keto Reset Instant Pot Cookbook, which we're going to talk about today, and also the Keto Reset Diet Cookbook. We're going to talk all about keto, all about ways to make it manageable and tasty and delicious, because I think people fear (laughs) a lot of of what's to come with that and think that it's somehow uh, subpar, but it's not. Um, Also, Lindsay, let's talk a little bit about, you're also, I mean, she's an ultra runner and an Ironman triathlon finisher, which is just astounding anyway, and right in line with Mark Sisson. So welcome to the show, Lindsay. How are you doing? Thank you. It's so great to talk to you, Al. You, um, how did you get involved in this game? Because that's pretty cool. You've You've been a senior writer and researcher, so fascinating. And then, you know, you're weaving your way and you've been a part of some of these best-selling books. Talk about how you got involved with us. Well, my whole primal story is actually really serendipitous. And I have to give credit to my husband because when it comes to anything health or longevity, he is always like 10 steps ahead of me. So he was reading Mark Sealy Apple when it first came out in 2006 And immediately he just bought into the whole thing. It just made so much sense to him. And he was like, that's it. We're giving up grains. We're giving up sugar. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Let's let's take a step back because we were (laughs) completely just, you know, I mean, we had cereal for breakfast and ravioli for dinner. And I was in grad school and he was just starting his career and we were super busy. And I was just like, we're doing a what? And then I got pregnant with my first baby and he was like, I don't think you should eat ice cream. And I was like, no, <laughs> I just, you're like, you know what? I'm hearing a whole lot of restrictions and I've got a lot of problems. Yeah. So when Mark published the primal blueprint is when I was pregnant with our son. And so Jake, my husband just went all in and I just was like, this is, I can't, <laughs> you know? And I was like, I'm never, I'm never going to. And then of course, you know, I was like, okay, you're right. <laughs> so I started, you know, he was all in from day one. I was more like baby steps, you know, one little step at a time, getting into the water slowly. Um, Let's pull back a second. What did you notice about him when you were watching him go all in? What were some of the things as his wife that you noticed? Well, you know, he, he was really in it for the longevity benefits. I mean, that was what really caught him was he was never in it for weight loss or athletic performance. He was very much my husband much an optimizer. You know, how can I get the best out of myself? How can I get the best out of my business partners? How can I get the best out of my company? You know, so um, he was just immediately like, I'm just going to live to be 120. And that's how we're going to know it's working. But then at the same time, he, um, (laughs) he did lose weight. I mean, I didn't think he was overweight at the beginning, but he's a very trim person. So he lost uh, body fat. He started, um, he at the time was working night shifts. Uh, he, well, he was doing a rotating day night schedule. So he was actually having an easier time doing that transition from day to night. His sleep was better. And then, um, when he stopped doing the rotating day night thing, you know, he just immediately, like he fell into a good sleep schedule. His, um, energy was great. Like he had all the kind of, you know, day-to-day lifestyle things that 
are promised by this. Like it was a hundred percent. As soon as he started doing it, everything kind of clicked in for him. But like I said, the ultimate test for him is whether he lives to be 120. So we still have another 80 years to to find out if the ultimate experiment worked or not. If I'm still around, we'll have him back on the podcast. That would be excellent. Yeah. But I mean, he just loved it. He was, and the other thing that was happening is that he, he wasn't, we didn't know about intermittent fasting yet. I mean, it was in the book, you know, Mark mentioned it, but it wasn't the thing it is today, eight, 10 years ago. Um, but he kind of naturally fell into this app, this intermittent fasting where his appetite was super regulated. And before he and I were both kind of just snackers. And so when he just was like, it was like, you know, we talked about, you know, food freedom, like it was like his attachment to food was just completely changed. And he kind of immediately flipped the switch into food being a fuel and food being functional rather than food being this kind of emotional thing, this boredom thing. And so that was actually what really appealed to me was this kind of food as fuel. That is such a great point that I want to highlight because that is the difference between being addicted to food and seriously having food obsessive disorders or being a sugar addict and thinking about food all the time to not. Right. Oh, that for me has actually been a huge difference. Whereas, you know, I mean, one of the things about this you know, keto and primal, I'm sure we'll talk about is that people talk, oh, you don't get hungry anymore. And that has not happened for me. It's not that I don't get hungry, but I used to be for sure one of those people where it was like, when I got hungry, we need to stop what we're doing and we need to find food immediately because otherwise I would become like a crazy person. I would become angry. I mean, hanger was a very real daily experience for me. So for me, I still get hungry for sure, but it's not like food does not rule my schedule or rule my life like it used to. Yeah. That is a big difference. I mean, we still have appetites or we'd be dead. I mean, you know, at some point we, we have to, we have to eat, but no, there is a huge difference. And also just the attention where it might've been an all day, or even I used to think about my next meal, even during or having a current meal, like it, completely, that, yeah. which is, <laughs> listen, if you're out there and you're feeling that there's hope, I'm telling you right now, I didn't think there was hope. I thought that was just me. I was screwed. So it, that's different. And, you know, in a, in a way, the hunger, gosh, in the whole process, it's so much more satisfying this way. Like it, the, the, the reward and the, you know, the, 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 yin and yang of that hunger and satiating it is so much more rewarding than what it used to be on the old carbohydrate dependency paradigm. Mm-hmm. For sure. But for me, it was like, I saw all these things in him, but he's also one of those people that just makes things look easy. So I was kind of like, well, it's easy for you, but maybe it's not easy for me. And, but once I really threw myself into it, like when you're going halfway, you can see changes, but it wasn't really, I mean, he was probably doing it seriously for three or four years while I was still kind of like tiptoeing my way in and out. And it, but then when I really flipped the switch myself and decided that I, I got it, I read the book, I understood why he was doing it and not just like thought he was telling me what to do. <laughs> but once I, once I let Mark tell me what to do, I was like, oh, okay. And of course this was years before. I mean, I've, I've been working for Mark since 2015 and this was all happening in, you know, 2010, 2011. So yeah, I was all in long before I started working here. Well, and then that's interesting. The reluctant student finally then now goes mm-hmm. and ends up working for and creating incredible books with, uh, and you know, I could say the same for myself, right? Mark Sisson. So yeah, how totally. did that come about? Because so, well, let's go back to, so you went full in then at one point, you're like, all right, I'm going in on this. Clearly this direction is something you're passionate about or you <laughs> wouldn't bother doing it for a career, but how did those two get connected? So what really happened was that so then I had my second son in 2011 
And I, and I really don't even know how this idea came into my head, but before I had him, I just thought to myself one day, you know, after I have another baby, I think I'll try triathlon. And this is, I cannot tell you Al, how much this was not me at the time. I never ran. I never swam. I would bike to get places, but even then I would take my car mostly. I mean, I was just not anything that you would consider an athlete. I was like a person who went to the gym and I was super into like Zumba, but I was not an athlete in that way. <laughs> and then, so I, I just got this little bee in my bonnet. So after my second son was born in 2011, I did, I signed up for a triathlon, immediately realized that I was in way over my head. I picked one that was really hard. That was local to me here in Northern California. And they, at the, the one I was doing, I was doing a short version, but there was also a half Ironman on the same course that was being billed as the world's toughest half. So once I realized that, I just freaked out, got myself a coach, um, joined this training group, which I'm still in today, some of the best, most meaningful friendships of my life. And so it was actually when I started to think about myself as an athlete, that that's when the mental shift happened for me from wondering, like, basically, how can I use food to make my body look a certain way to how can I use food to make my body to set myself up for success in the things I want my body to be able to do. And once I switched that mindset, it was like new doors opened for me, everything changed. And that's really when I bought all in. Wow. So it was really thinking about food, you know, from an athlete's perspective. And then, you know, I call myself an athlete and I, I say that hundred percent, but I'm, you know, it's not like I'm performing at the top of the of the podium here. You know, I'm a very middle of the packer. But anybody who participates and takes the time and dedicates themselves to something is an athlete. And so I very much think of myself as an athlete, even though, you know, at any given race, 600 or 1,000 people will finish in front of me. That matters not at all. Like, I'm still very much an athlete, and I want to take care of my body. And food is one of the major ways to do this. Food, sleep. And recovery are the major ways we do that. Yeah. And when you feel, I mean, this way I look at it is like, I still consider myself an athlete, even though I'm not in a training regimen for a triathlon, but I love the feeling when you feel best in your body, at least for me, um, I feel like this incredibly just efficient human machine. It feels so mm -hmm. cool. And that is what an athlete is really. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be about a sport even, right? So it's just that feeling of just feeling so athletic and nimble and um, just, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. So did you go about then being like, all right, well, how do I train in a primal way? Um, so at that point, you know, this was 2011, 2012. So primal endurance, no, that wasn't out yet. I didn't know about Maffetone yet. Um, so basically I was really, I was kind of training in a traditional way, but I immediately went, did the primal diet all in. And so actually what happened was, um, fast forward, I, so I ended up, um, at the time when I was starting all this, I was in grad school still, like I mentioned, I was training to be a psychologist, an academic psychologist. I was on the career path where I was going to go work at a university and be, you know, professor and researcher and just decided that that was not going to be my path and, um, finished my PhD, worked for a couple years at Berkeley, which is where I got my PhD as a researcher. So stayed on with the research team I've been working with. And then, um, at a couple years after I graduated, the funding source that had been paying for my job expired. So my job kind of naturally terminated. And I said, you know what? Um, I'm not going to keep doing this. So I ended up staying at home with my kids for a couple of years, um, 
being a stay-at-home mom, and then when my youngest one started preschool, I thought, you know, I'd really like to get back, just, you know, start looking for something to do outside the home again. And I started thinking about what I liked about academia, and it was really the researching and the writing and the teaching, like the teaching of communicating ideas to people. Um, and so I just thought, well, maybe I'll look for, you know, a science writer, editor type job. And three days later, I answered an ad on Craigslist for a primal paleo health and fitness writer, didn't know whose ad it was. And then the next day, Brad Kearns, co-author of <laughs> Primal Endurance and the Keto Reset, Brad emailed me back and said, yeah, Brad emails me back and goes, yeah, tell me more about yourself. And my husband and I lost our minds <laughs> because there's the Primal Blueprint logo. Of course, we immediately know what it is. I mean, now we're, you know, six, seven, gosh, almost probably more like nine years into the primal journey. If you think about how long Jake and I had been, Jake, you know, originally had been reading Mark's Daily Apple and here Brad is emailing me saying, yeah, um, tell me more about your, your academic experience and could you send me your CV? And I was like, <gasps> so, and then, yeah, like by the next week, Brad and I are having sushi and I work for Mark. It was so crazy. Love that. It was so crazy. I went, so yeah, so originally I was working on the books and doing research and, you know, editing. And, and at that time, that's when Primal Endurance was actually, they'd already written it. It was Impress. Um, so we, so I started helping with the Primal Endurance community. And that's when I then switched my training to be more, you know, the lower heart rate, the periodization, you know, so that was actually, it's actually after Primal Endurance came out that that's when I learned about all that. Yeah, it, that's a whole fascinating subset of training that's really important for people out there. If you're thinking about doing one of these events, you might want to look into a Primal Endurance, uh, the book and or the course, etc. And so many podcasts as well. Let's talk about stepping into then keto. And this is an important topic for everyone listening. And we will get into some details about this because I think the biggest problem and the one that the keto reset diet book addresses so well is people just going, wait, what keto? That's a new thing. Oh, just eat a bunch of bacon done. I'm in. And then like the next day they're eating zero carbs. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's, you know what? You can't, you can't, you can, but, uh, it's not going to be good. And so the keto reset diet is so great because it really takes you through the initial phase of even just getting rid of the crap and switching over to become fat adapted, to not be what Lindsay and I were just talking about earlier. We're just thinking about food every few hours. And you got to take a little bit of a test to even get to the next level, uh, to get into where you're like, okay, am I ready to do like more keto? And even then, so when people do that, now we've got a whole world of either over blood testing when it's not necessary, being too rigid, uh, not adhering and being fluid with the flexibility of it, the metabolic flexibility that can be involved. Now, that being said, you know, traumatic brain injuries, uh, other health issues might require an immediate keto situation. And that's absolutely valid as well. But for the average person out there that's just looking to burn extra fat, optimize some health, anti-inflammatory and longevity, Lindsay and I want to talk about the, the best way to do that. So let's talk a little bit about your experience with keto and some of the things that I've mentioned that have kind of popped up for you in this sphere, because I know they have. Mm -hmm. So of course, then I'm primal for years and years, right? So then Mark and Brad approach me and they say, hey, you know, we're going to try this keto experiment. We're thinking about writing this keto book. 
And of course, because like I said, my husband is always 10 steps ahead of me. He had tried keto like a year before, had loved it. And I hadn't really tried it yet. So I went keto and I, what I knew about keto was kind of, you know, when, I don't know if you remember when keto first started to become more, I wouldn't even say it's mainstream now. So, but when it just became, when the buzz started to increase, you know, you started to hear more and more about it, which I, for me was about probably three years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just like, you just drop vegetables and you eat tons of cream and cheese. And this was literally, I mean, is what we call now the bacon and butter version, right? But that was kind of the version you saw. And so it's basically like you eat meat, you eat cheese, you eat, you do butter coffees, and then you just lose a ton of weight. And that was kind of how it was, I was seeing it sold. There was this, you know, this other kind of tangential community, which is the one that my husband picked up on, which was kind of the longevity community, but that wasn't the popular one. So, and I think that's why I hadn't really tried keto until Mark and Brad came to me was because I just wasn't interested in eating that way. I like vegetables a lot. I eat a lot of vegetables and I just was like, I don't think that I want to drop those. You know, I really think that that's important. But then when I started to look into it more and research it more and understood, oh, that's a version of keto, but that's not the only way to do keto. And of course, that's not how Mark and Brad were doing keto. And that's never what they were designing the keto reset diet to be. So when I transitioned into keto, it was just a matter of, since I was already primal, I just basically ate fewer sweet potatoes and I was still eating some fruit. So I basically just pared back the fruit a lot and started testing my ketones just because I wanted to see what, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was doing it quote unquote right for the purposes of this test. Um, And we can talk about testing ketones and whether or not it's necessary. But for me, there was no rough transition. It was just okay, take out some of the carbs and find a way to get some more calories from fat. And even then it wasn't even that, you know, that big of a transition because carbs have four gram or four calories per gram and fat has nine calories per gram. So you don't have to up your fat that much to make up for carb calories. And so for me, it was just like a breeze to transition because I was already so close to keto, it turns out with how I was eating. Um, And that really drove home for me how possible it is for keto to be kind of seamless, kind of easy. And so now when I see all these people struggling, I just think, man, it does not have to be that way. It just doesn't, you know. Well, you set up, you built the metabolic machinery. Exactly. You you had already built it and you didn't have to be uh, keto, super low carb to mm -hmm. get in that right zone to go either way, to have a little bit of too many carbs one day when you feel like it and then to go the other, whatever. Uh It's you're flexible. And so it it can be, and that's why the keto reset diet is really Honestly, I think, and again, we're on the author show. You're one of the authors. I work for my, but honestly, I wouldn't say that unless I thought it was true because it's really, it's one of his best books, I think. And it's, it's really worthwhile endeavor. And it tells you the right way to do it, the way that's going to be as pain-free as possible. There should be no suffering involved. So what, when, when it was seamless for you, what were things that you noticed as you, you know, once you got into it and how long were you in there on that first, you know, bout of like after a month, you were like, Oh, I really hit some plateaus here where I not plateaus, but you hit, hit some levels. I didn't think I could hit. Or when was it that you were some light bulbs went off for you? Yeah. Uh, Well, first I want to mention that just like you said that, yeah, we're on Mark's podcast and stuff, but when Brad and Mark first approached me and said they were doing keto and you know, the part of the keto, I community, I knew about was this extreme thing. 
and Brad said, you know, we want you to be a part of this project. I was honestly a little nervous because I was like, what if I, what if I hate keto? You know, what if it doesn't work for me? What if I don't support the, you know, what if I don't support the kind of outcome? You know, what if the final version of the keto diet that they propose is not something that I personally think is healthy? What am I going to do? And then I read the keto reset diet and I'm like, oh, we're fine. (laughs) We're good. Everything's good. Everything is good. And so, I mean, I really feel very personally, strongly, passionately about the keto reset method. But yeah, I was concerned when we first started down this road because I wasn't sure that keto was sustainable. I wasn't a hundred percent sure that it was healthy or that it was possible to do in a way that was consistent with kind of my own personal food values. And it completely is. So once I started to eat keto, you know, like I said, I thought I was feeling pretty good at that time. Let's see. I had already, I was already training for my Ironman. So this is 2016. Um, I had just finished it at the end of the year, started to talk to about going keto um, so it wasn't like I was having any issues and I'm also, I should just mention, like, I'm really lucky that I don't have any chronic health issues I'm trying to deal with. I don't have any particular food sensitivity. I can even eat gluten. Like I don't, I don't get sick when I eat gluten. I don't, I can't tell if I've been accidentally glutened, but I just don't think it's the healthiest way to eat. So everything for me is a choice. Like everything I do is because I want to feel my best, but not because if I make these different choices, I'm going to feel awful. So when I went into keto, I thought I was doing pretty well. And I have to say the two biggest things I noticed were one was that the food freedom aspect where I just, I just stopped thinking about food because even when I was primal, I still thought about food. I wasn't ruled by food like I had been before, but I was still, it was still kind of a bigger part of my life. And just in terms of thinking about, okay, what am I going to eat next? Like you said, like I'm eating lunch, but I'm already starting to think about dinner. (laughs) That never really totally went away for me before. Um, I definitely feel much less attached to food than I ever did before. So keto kind of was like the final straw that broke the camel's back for that one in a good way. And then the other thing I noticed was that even when I was primal, I still was experiencing inconsistent energy throughout the day. I would very often get an early afternoon energy kind of, not even a crash, but just a dip, like a very noticeable dip where I didn't have to go take a nap, but I definitely wanted to chill for a little while. And, you know, I do, I was at the time I was training a lot, but even then I was just like, I think that this can be better. And when I went keto, I just, I almost never experienced that anymore. My energy throughout the day. Which is amazing. It is amazing. Ironman training, right? Especially. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. And, you know, I know a lot of people say, you know, people hold up kind of like the gold standard of like, what's the best possible thing. So it's like, if you go keto, you're going to have like just limitless energy. You're going to be bouncing off the walls. You know, you're going to have this cognitive clarity and you're just going to, your brain's going to be buzzing with you know, ideas. Most people I know do not experience it that. So what I experienced was a much more mellow version of that. And honestly, it's great. Like I don't need to be bouncing off walls. <laughs> That's fine with me. <laughs> but being able to function all day and feel consistently good, regardless of whether I worked out in the morning, you know, regardless of whether or not I maybe got the optimal night's sleep. I mean, obviously there's limits. I can't get four hours of sleep a, a night and feel great. But if I get a normal amount of sleep, I'm pretty much guaranteed to feel great the next day, no matter what. So, and if I don't, I'm like, okay, someone's getting sick because this is not normal anymore. 
And I just, you know, get my immune support going. And I also, oh, that's another thing I should mention is I have not really been sick in like three years. So even before I went keto, but definitely since I went keto, I haven't had a major, even a cold, you know, it's like, oh, I'll feel down and out for a day and a half, two days. And then I'm back. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And also that bouncing off the walls feeling for a lot of people is just actually normal energy they've never experienced too. You know, someone like <laughs> you is already healthy and has normal energy. It's not going to go from there to bouncing off the walls, but your normal energy is probably like, oh my God. And I think they meant it in a positive way. Although, yeah, bouncing off the walls sounds a little bit like a straitjacket scenario inside of a cell wall. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that term that came from. Like- I'm going to have to look into that. Um, so let's talk about Okay, so let's talk about testing ketones. I mean, listen, there's reasons for it for people that are doing this to um, literally cure type 2 diabetes for them um, and get off of insulin with their doctor, and this is an approach that would be very important. But for the average person, okay, and you can find the details about that in the Keto Reset Diet book, but for for this conversation, for the average person who's going to do this, what do you suggest? Well, first of all, I suggest never using the urine strips because they're pretty useless and they don't really tell you that much. And after, you know, they really just tell you how many ketones you're wasting. And it's good to know that your liver is using them or I mean making them, but it doesn't tell you whether or not you're using them at all. And that really is the problem with all ketone testing is that whether you're using blood, breath or urine, you don't really know you don't know that you're being an efficient ketone burner. You're really just testing to make sure that your liver is producing ketones. So I think this is a great distinction because this is like the definitive distinction that is the important thing. Mark's always trying to make is that again, like it's not telling you how efficiently you're using them. Right. Right. And, and, and here's a bigger point is that, you know, for most of us, like you mentioned, if you have a specific medical issue, diabetes, cancer, maybe for sure, you know, intractable epilepsy. If you're using, if you're using ketosis, a ketogenic diet therapeutically, then you want the ketones specifically. And the reason is, is multifactorial, but one is that there is possibly for some of these diseases, a direct positive effect of having ketones in your body. So it's not just that you're eating ketogenically, but that the ketones themselves act as signaling molecules and possibly directly anti-inflammatory. And so the ketones themselves are part of the key to what you want. But for those of us who are just, you know, eating ketogenically for health, or, you know, of course, a lot of people are doing it for weight loss. A large part of what we really want here is to become fat burners and measuring ketones does not tell you if you are an efficient fat burner or not, because you can burn fat efficiently without ever making ketones in significant amounts. I mean, that's what people who are eating primally, eating a paleo diet, who are, you know, eating like a whole foods diet, who are, you know, being pretty good about not doing things like paleo primal treats, you know, not eating a ton of honey, almond flour, date paste type things. We're going to be burning lots of fat without making lots of ketones. So the question for I have for people who are measuring their ketones I just want to make sure they understand why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be fun. You know, data collection on yourself can be fun. Obviously, a lot of people are really into data collecting now, Um, you know, this kind of self-quantifying movement and doing blood tests and measuring their ketones and measuring HRV and getting continuous glucose monitors. And if you can do that in a way that's healthy, you know, you don't become obsessed with it 
if you can kind of take it all in stride and you're able to integrate all that information into kind of a big picture, that's fine. But if it makes you feel stressed, if it makes you, if it turns into micromanaging or if it makes you feel like you're doing something wrong when you don't get the measurements you expect, then for me, the payoff of measuring is pretty little compared to the stress that you're causing yourself. So um, I think measuring ketones is interesting at the beginning just to see like, oh, I've, I've done it. <laughs> there you go. There's, there's obvious proof that I've done it. But measuring ketones as a way of assessing if you're continuing to do a keto diet, quote unquote, correctly, I think is um, iffy <laughs> at best. Yeah. And I want to mention when we're talking about serious conditions, I'll just throw out Two, two books here. If it's traumatic brain injury or anything having to do with the brain, look up Kevin Ballister, who wrote a book called Feed a Brain. And if it's cancer, look up a book called The Ketogenic Kitchen by these two women that are cancer survivors. They were also on the podcast. And they go into detail about how certain types of cancers may not require you know, keto and others do. You know, So there's some more information out there for people just on that subject. I wanted to mention it. Um, also, too, you know, for people out there, you can get fat on a high fat diet. And we're going to get into macros in a second. But this has happened to me. This is a mistake sometimes people make when they quit grains and go primal. I know I initially made it, um, which is I overate fat. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're overeating, you know, you still have to burn fat. So you'd rather burn some what you're eating and, you know, some off of your body, right? But mm -hmm. if you're overdoing the fat, and so that's another example of you might register some ketones somewhere, but you also could not be efficient at burning fat. And if that's the goal, right? So let's talk about an average of where people start. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say that like, you're looking at kind of entering into the keto arena, when you start to go below 50 carbs, 50 grams yep. of carbs a day, something like that. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So this is an area where I really want to stress that different people, different groups, different, you know, keto thought leaders online are going to give different advice. And the people who stress getting into ketosis as quickly as possible are going to give different advice than I'm going to give. And that Mark gives, you know, that my advice is obviously based on the keto reset diet. Um, so the way we approach it is that we want people to become efficient fat burners first and then to transition kind of gently into ketosis. Um, because again, for most of us, driving up ketones as high as possible through restricting foods and restricting carbohydrates doesn't confer any particular benefit. And it does cause a lot of stress and it makes the diet harder and less sustainable than is necessary. So we kind of take a taper down approach where we say, you know, kind of in some sense, what is the most carbs you can eat and still be in ketosis specifically because we want people to eat as many vegetables as they want and still, you know, get the results they want. So when we say carbs, we're really talking about carbs, mostly that come from vegetables, some from nuts, um, you know, things like oysters and mussels have carbs. So we say, you know, come through this period of eating a primal diet where you're probably eating in the range of 50 to 150 grams of carbs a day. Again, whole food, you know, vegetable carbs, primarily some fruit, and then just take out the highest carb items in your diet, taper them down and start with about 50 grams total per day. 
Um, the reason we use total instead of net carbs is partly just for simplicity because there's controversy about what counts when you can net out fiber. So we just, it's kind of just better not to get into that debate as far as we're concerned. And then again, because, um, you know, measurement is not a perfect science by any means. So we say, you know, hit 50, don't obsess about the number 50. If you are measuring your food and you go to 52, but it's like mostly Brussels sprouts, you're fine. Um, so we start with 50 grams of carbs per day. And for most people who are generally healthy, if they consistently ate around 50 grams of carbs, you know, 40 to 50 grams per day total, they would get into ketosis. Um, they wouldn't necessarily register like, these amazing numbers on their blood meter if they were if they were you know pricking their finger and doing a blood meter. They wouldn't be measuring like a 2.0 they'd be probably measuring, you know, 0.5, 0.8. And that is totally fine. All you want is to be setting yourself up for a situation in which you are using fat, keeping insulin low, keeping glucose burning down, and setting yourself up for using ketones, and your body will make the amount it needs, using ketones to um, supplement the glucose that you're no longer eating. There's no prize, again, unless you have a specific medical condition that requires it, there's no prize for restricting more and getting higher ketone numbers. If you could get the same results and feel even better by just eating a little bit more. That, absolutely. So that's kind of how we approach it from the carb perspective. Let's go into the fat and protein perspective now too. Mm -hmm. So now at this point, someone might need to potentially lower a little bit of the protein perhaps? Well, you know, the protein question is interesting because like even two years ago when I was really getting into the keto space, protein was still kind of a, a macronutrient of fear. <laughs> People were still wary of protein. And I feel like that that mindset has shifted a little bit. So our our protein recommendations for keto people are basically the same as they are for primal people, which is, you know, 0.6 to 0.8, maybe 0.5 to 0.7 grams per pound of lean body mass. So, um, you know, I usually tell people who are super confused by the numbers for most people, if you start around 75 grams of, of protein per day, that'll put you in that range kind of no matter what your body size, but if you're a little bit bigger, you can go higher. Um, you know, the reason people were, you know, keto folks were afraid of protein before was the notion that, amino acids from protein can be used for gluconeogenesis, which is the process where in the liver, um, substrates like amino acids, but also things like glycerol and lactate are turned into glucose. So the fear was, oh, I'm trying not to eat glucose in the form of carbs, but I'm going to eat all this meat. And then that meat is going to be broken down to amino acids. They're going to be shuttled off to my liver. My liver is going to turn them into glucose. And so I've just canceled out all my carb restriction. And, and we know that's not, a, that's not how it works. I mean, it, it can be how it works in a situation in which your body really needs glucose, but your body only makes the amount of glucose it needs. Um, you know, being keto, uh, being keto doesn't mean that your body doesn't need any glucose. It just means it needs a lot less glucose. So it will do right, and I think the mistake people make too is just that when they look at keto, you know, the the general population thinks low carb. They go for excess protein. They can overdo it, even though too, you know, which is just 
uh, just overeating and can be inflammatory in general, just by, you know, eating, eating too much because they don't realize they've got to mitigate some of that with fat. So I just think that's a misconception people have like, oh, you go keto. It's like no carbs. And then you just eat a ton of meat, you know? Right, right, right. And it's, it's, it's clearly not that, but yeah. So, okay. So it's basically when the, and if you're smaller, you're a smaller person, you know, and you, you can experiment yeah, right. with going a little bit lower or, or whatever. Right. Yeah. And another thing that people, uh, you know, really get wrong with keto, I think, is they feel like every day has to look the same. So it's like, if my macros are 40 grams of carbs and 70 grams of protein and, you know, say 110 grams of fat, 130 grams of fat, whatever, then if I eat, you know, if I'm supposed to be 40, 70, 130, but I eat 50, 78, 112, then I've screwed up my whole day. And it's like, no, (laughs) these are, you know, they're ballpark figures. These are, estimates. These are guidelines, but these are not rules. You know, it's not, there's nothing magic about your specific macros. They're, they're targets, but the amount you would have to be off to really screw something up would be massive. And it would have to be day after day after day. So people become so wedded to their macros, forgetting that if you had used a different calculator, your macros would be slightly different you know, forgetting that, you know, you're, even if you're weighing and measuring your food, those weight, those weights and measurements are an estimate. You know, it's, you're not getting every drop of almond butter scraped off the measuring spoon. You're not perfectly measuring the amount of oil that ends up in your food. So, you know, people take their macros to heart and it's just, it causes so much stress in the keto world. It really does. Yeah. I've always said that it's like, uh, no one's ever seen a picture of a cave painting of macros. Like, um, (laughs) but the idea is we've gotten so counterintuitive and frankly, they were, you know, just surviving (laughs) a lot of our ancestors, but, um, we've gotten, we've gotten far from being intuitive. The primal blueprint brings you back into that. Okay. You know, that's, that brings you back into like, okay, now I'm clean. Um, you know, uh, get rid of some of the food obsessions and, be healthy and feel good. And then from that platform, you can be even more intuitive. But the way to look at macros is, hey, if you're new to all this, just get to know what stuff is and what it looks like. And after mm-hmm. that, you you learn how to eye it. You learn how much salmon yep. is kind of too much, or maybe you should take the rest of the steak home. Or it, You get used to it. So I say use it as a way to educate yourself to then become intuitive about it. Exactly. And that is, that's the benefit of measuring macros. That's the benefit of weighing a measure. You know, and for a lot of people who are coming at this from kind of a more standard modern eating profile, you know, like a standard American diet, this is so very different that it does require this period of adjustment and a big period of education. There can be a big learning curve that can be um, intimidating for people. So, but I do completely agree with you, Al, that if you can look at the, this kind of transition period as a period of educating yourself as opposed to a period of learning what's right and wrong. That's a completely different mindset. That's going to be so much more helpful. And once you get to where you need to go and you feel good, you know what I mean? A lot of that stuff, again, you're like, all right, well, I'm here, you know, I've gotten here. Like it's, it's working. I'm doing great. Like things are positive. So uh, I think people are too attached to, and then you know what, who wants to input more stuff into a device these days? Let's, I mean, (laughs) at some point, unless you have to, I certainly don't. And, and I think too, that's really what the primal blueprints always been about. And what people love about Mark is that from the very beginning, even with primal, he said, you know, look, if you could even just do 80, 20, that's better than like, whatever you can do, be flexible, get in there. Don't be crazy about it. I say in my book, uh, you know, throw away the scale, you know, how you're feeling in your underwear. Don't 
tell me you don't know how you feel like you, you everyone knows how they look and feel you don't need to get on a scale to ruin it for you um, you know, exactly. for, for attaching some number, I say, don't get on that scale until you're feeling great. And then you, if you feel like it, then at that point, you can be like, all right, what am I am at this, you know, at, at this point. Um, but we all know when jeans are fitting right and whatnot. So I just say, don't stress yourself out with numbers because also too, my God, you just, we weight as we know is not the winning game It's percentage of body fat really, which is what should be more on people's minds. So to even do the weight thing is, you know, that's a whole nother podcast, but one of the ways this could be made easy for people aside from buying the keto reset diet, diet book, which you should now the accompanying cookbooks, you know, my gosh, if you got two or your three meals out of this, right, you don't even have to count a macro. Right, um, totally. It's done for you. So let's talk about that. So there's the Keto Reset Diet Cookbook. And of course, you know, we're not doing a live cooking show right now, but let's go through some of the, there's some interesting things I saw in here that I was like, hmm. Um, what I like about it is it does give an intro a bit about keto. It's not just doesn't jump right in to the recipe. So let's talk about the Keto Reset Diet Cookbook, and then we'll get into the Instant Pot one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the Keto Reset Diet Cookbook just came out in November. It's meant to be a companion to the Keto Diet Book, obviously Keto Reset Diet Book. And we really tried hard to showcase a variety of recipes because I think the the biggest problem that people have when they go keto is that especially when it comes to vegetables, they just don't have any idea how to incorporate them anymore. And it's just, I mean, to me, this way of eating is so easy. I mean, it's just so, it's how I would choose to eat even if I didn't know about all this stuff. So, you know, for us, when we were writing it, it was just like, okay, like what is the food we literally eat all the time? Perfect. Now we got to write it down. (laughs) And it was really that simple, you know? So this is a, it's a strange one that I saw that I was like, what? It says blueberries and cream eggs. What's happening there? Oh yeah. Okay. So this one, I got it. This is actually from our mutual friend, Brian, who, hello, Brian is, uh, among other things, edits our podcast. Love Brian. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. And if you also have watched any of the amazing videos we've been putting out about the keto reset diet, and there's going to be more coming out in the coming month or so. Um, Brian does all our videos and he's just amazing. And he also is super creative in the kitchen and does things that we would never think of. And this is one of his things is that he has always mixed the primal fuel, which is our kind of in-house primal um, protein powder. It's a whey protein powder that is still um, keto friendly because it's not super, super, super sweetened. And he um, was mixing it with eggs. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> that is disgusting. And he was like, no, chocolate. Well, he was and, doing the vanilla with the eggs or the chocolate? Like what? So he does mostly chocolate. And so he started on the chocolate. He does one that I actually call German chocolate eggs, although I don't think he necessarily calls it that. But yeah, it's just like eggs, chocolate protein powder, um, cocoa butter, uh, coconut butter, and you know, cream, and nuts, and cacao nibs and shredded coconut. And he was like, you have to try it. And I was like, it truly is like a breakfast cake in a bowl. It's, it was crazy how well it worked. And so I started doing that. And then I was like, one day I just was like, well, what can I do with the vanilla? And then I came up with this blueberries and cream eggs and I love it. I mean, I just really love it. I especially love it on mornings when I am exercising, um, because it's just, Sometimes I just don't love eating something really savory around exercise. It just 
feels more, it's just, it's a mental thing, I think, but it feels heavier to me. So I want something that's like a little bit sweetened, but I don't want obviously like a breakfast cereal, a traditional waffle. Like I just haven't eaten those foods in 10 years, you know? So this blueberries and cream eggs for me is the kind of the perfect combination where it's got a balanced macronutrient profile. It gives me a little bit of everything, some protein fat, and just a little bit of carbs um, around exercise. Um, I love blueberries, of course, but you could do it with any blueberries. But yeah, it's basically just, it sounds crazy, but it's the perfect pre-workout fuel. Okay. How do we make it? Okay. So you basically, it's super simple. You just basically start like you're scrambling eggs. Um, So you beat a couple eggs, however many you want. So I usually do two just because I don't like to eat super heavy breakfast, but you can do more. Um, I usually measure in splooshes and splashes. So you do a little splash of of coconut milk or heavy whipping cream. So about two tablespoons, um, about eh, half a teaspoon of vanilla extract, pinch of salt. Um, You can use butter, ghee, cocoa butter, cacao butter, coconut butter, whatever kind of fat you want. Um, I usually use a mixture of unsalted butter and cacao butter. Melt it in the pan. Um, Start scrambling your eggs. And then I just mix in the vanilla protein powder as I'm scrambling. Scramble, scramble, scramble. Right at the last minute, I just mix in the blueberries. And sometimes I'll do um, like some shredded coconut, some unsweetened shredded coconut right at the last minute just before they set. Take out, if you want a little bit of extra calories and fat, you put a little dollop of coconut butter on top and there you go. That's it. Super simple. And like I said, it tastes like blueberry pancakes, but without obviously completely grain free, completely flour free. And it's amazing. I I love it. I cannot wait to try that one. Also, I'm a huge fan of hollandaise sauce and you Mm -hmm. guys have a quick one as well. And lots of great sauces in there. Um, what else really catches your eye that's one of your favorites? I know you love everything, but what, what are some of your favorite other recipes? I do. I'm, I really love the breakfast recipes, but I'll try to give something without, um, without eggs. But I do love our frittatas. I love a frittata. And like you said, I really like all of our sauces because when you eat keto, it's super – like you can basically eat keto by just you know rotating hamburgers, <laughs> chicken thighs – And, you know, some sort of shredded meat from your slow cooker or instant pot. And then whatever roasted vegetable you happen to, you know, whatever vegetable you picked up at the grocery store or farm stand or whatever, and just mix in a different sauce and you have a completely different meal. So we have a tzatziki sauce in here I really like, but my absolute favorite sauces are chimichurris, which are basically just fresh herbs, usually parsley, but I usually do um, a half parsley, half cilantro. Um, although, and we also have a mint chimichurri in the new book. That's amazing. So you can do it with mint and it's basically just fresh herbs, olive oil, although of course you could use avocado oil, but olive oil is great here. A really good quality olive oil, um, garlic, uh, usually some, a little bit of fresh oregano and some vinegar and then red pepper flakes and salt to taste. And you just blend it up and it truly goes on anything. So Um, I think that all of our cookbooks involve some sort of chimichurri because I am personally obsessed with chimichurri and I literally always have some version of chimichurri in our fridge. So chimichurri for sure is a big one for me. Um, I also love anything having to do, I love salt, like small salty fish, you know, the, the anchovies and the the sardines. So, um, there's a grilled romaine salad in here, which I, 
I can't remember where we got the idea from this. I'm probably going to have to give credit to Ina Garten because she's a big inspiration for me. But yeah, if you've never cooked lettuce, I know it sounds bonkers, but you just take a head of romaine, slice it in half the long way through the root so it stays mostly intact. You know, you brush it with oil and you can grill it on an indoor grill pan. You can do it under the broiler, although obviously with broiling, it's super hot. So you have to watch it or you can do it on an outdoor grill. Um, Just quickly grill your romaine. It adds a completely different um, flavor to it. It's like a completely different experience. And then, yeah, you just top it with um, a, a, a really, you know, basic Caesar type dressing. The one we have in the book is basically like a dairy free Caesar. So it's olive oil, apple cider vinegar, anchovies. You can use anchovy paste if you want. Um, lemon juice, garlic, Dijon, whir it up, pour it over, serve it with additional, um, anchovies on top. I'm telling you, man, anchovies are the best. And then yeah, Parmesan cheese, if you're not dairy free, it's super elegant for a dinner party and it takes like 10 minutes. Yeah. Another, it's so funny you mentioned the grilled romaine. I had that once because I love Caesars and this restaurant near us in the Malibu mountains called the old place uh, sometimes has a special where they'll do like grilled romaine and they grill everything over like red oak. And it's got that kind of smoky, um, uh, kind of essence to it. But I love that sort of like wood burning and it, it's weird to think of grilled, grilled lettuce, but also when you cut it in half and grill those sides, that can be a really interesting presentation as well. It's really mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting way to kind of eat a salad cutting off. And, you know, there's so many different ways to serve that. Um, but yeah, that is such a, such a good move is the, the quick grill on the romaine. I mean, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's just so unique and it adds a level that takes three seconds if you, if you can do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about the instant pot cookbook. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I'm laughing because uh, two people from our company were like, you have to get an instant pot. You don't even understand. Like a year ago, they were like, don't even question it. Just go and buy it now. I don't just trust. I'm not even talk to you again until you buy one. And I was like, what is going on with people? Like so many random, then I was like, okay, geez. And then I dragged my heels and a friend of mine actually got one for me as a gift who didn't even know. And I'm like, all right, well, that's serendipitous. I guess I was meant to have an instant pot. And then I let it sit there for four months because I looked at it and I was like, this is too combo. I don't even want to start with whatever this is, all these buttons. I was like the last person that wanted to even attempt this. And Uh so for anyone out there listening, who's like, what this gadget with all these things, it's worth it. It's so worth it. I, one of my, mind blowers was when I did a stew and could not believe that the stew meat took only like 35, 45 minutes Uh max to become fall apart, ridiculous with a fork just falling apart. And I was like, this is just crazy, you know, versus six, seven hours in a crock pot. Um, and, and all the other things that it can do. So I love that you guys did an instant pot cookbook, especially since now I'm kind of rolling with it. But one of the things I love in here is, uh, can we talk about the avocado soup? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So this actually was, um, we have another, Mark and I have a third co-author on this, uh, a woman named Layla, who is an excellent mod in our keto reset Facebook group, which I will plug at the end again. Um, and she was actually the one who introduced us to this recipe originally. She's an excellent, excellent, excellent cook. And I was kind of like, "Uh, I don't want like hot guacamole. (laughs) I just don't think, okay, but yeah, like she said, like, let's put down the recipe and I'll test it. And, you know, she and I were testing recipes together and this recipe is like unreal. It's so good. I just can't. And it's, Everyone who tries it 
like goes bananas for it. And it's so basic and it's essentially just, you know, avocados, a couple little tomatillos and chicken stock, and then just a little bit of, uh, you know, some seasoning, some onions, some garlic, some basic stuff. So when you see the recipe list, you're like, huh? So just avocado soup is what we're doing here. It is <laughs> unreal. It's so good. It's just like, it's the most satisfying. Plus, you know, avocados are obviously like the keto super, superstar food. We love it. It's so good. Yeah, definitely the avocado soup. I really love all the soups though. Soup is my favorite thing to do in the Instant Pot um, because you can't really go wrong. It's hard to mess up soup. If you overcook it, it's, there's, there's no such thing as overcooking soup. But the avocado soup is definitely the superstar of this book. What are some of your other favorites? So I really love the pork and I can't remember exactly what it's called. The creamy pork and mushroom, I believe is what we called it. That one is a real winner. And I do that one and I freeze it. Um, and so that one is the one that I probably made the most in terms of this book. And then the other kind of superstar that, again, I make all the time and that people have gone insane for is just the collard greens with ham. It's actually made with a ham hock, a fresh ham hock. And it is, in fact, I have the ingredients to make it. I'm making it tomorrow for dinner. I have them in my fridge right now. That, those are the things I make the most. The collard greens are so good. And it's amazing how many people have never tried collard greens because if you make them on the stovetop, they take a long time. I mean, you're really supposed to cook them down for a long time. And it's so, it's not fast in the Instant Pot because, you know, ham hocks and collard greens are temperamental, but it's, I mean, it's like two or three times faster in the Instant Pot. And it's, fabulous. It's Collard like greens that. are so good for you. And you're right. They can be bitter and, and, and it's take forever if you try to stovetop them. Another use though, I want to throw out for collard greens. If you can get some big leaves, you take about a, a pot of boiling water and just stick one of the leaves in there for a few seconds to blanch it and get it a little soft. And you can use those as wraps. You know, that's another yeah. move. Um, so they're just great for so many things, but yeah, to cook them down and do it with like the braised collard greens and ham is just so delicious. I mean, that's old school you know um yeah. i love in fact, that I, we went to a like a soul food restaurant last weekend to celebrate a friend's birthday and we ordered their collard greens and i was like mine are better <laughs> mine are better. <laughs> <laughs> i just really like mine but yeah and the collard green wraps collard greens are far and away in my opinion the best green for wrapping like don't give me a lettuce wrap and there is there uh, is there at least one recipe in the new the newest cookbook the keto reset diet cookbook for um there's a handheld chef salad in there that's with collard greens because they're so they're dense without being tough and so if you're wrapping something use a collard green that's what holds it together better than anything absolutely they're tough enough and even if you blanch them they're still malleable and tough enough like a real tortilla actually yeah. Um, versus yeah lettuce and stuff will crumble all over you. <laughs> once you have a couple tricks like this up your sleeve like once you're like oh Collard greens are the perfect vehicle for everything. Now you've just opened up, you know, 15 meals for yourself. And that's what I try to tell people about keto eating is like, it doesn't have to be too basic and it certainly doesn't have to be too hard. It's just, you have to, it's just like with any style of cooking, you just have to kind of learn the couple tricks or couple tips that are going to make it easiest for you. So it's like, for example, you know, for people who don't know how to roast vegetables, which was me for a long time. For me, I only a long time, you know, when I was learning how to cook, you know, in my early 20s, I only steamed or boiled or sauteed. I never used my oven. And now that I know how to use my oven to make the most amazing roasted vegetables, it literally opened up a whole new 
area of cooking. And part of that, though, is that you have to be willing to use oil on your vegetables, which if you're coming from a low-fat dogma, you're not going to roast vegetables because you have to you know, toss them in oil before you do it. So I think a lot of people have never really tried it because they don't want to add oil to their vegetables. You know, those kinds of things, like once you learn those kinds of small things that can be um, generalized to different ingredients, it really is not, it's, it's not hard to eat, you know, it's not at all. Or primal, really. I mean, for that matter, primal is even easier, for goodness sakes. No, it's really not. It's just the initial phase of people coming to terms with the grains and dairy. It's just the, it's, it's usually that initial hump and getting through, you know, that first 21 days, like we talk about. Uh, but, but in general, once you're past that, which really what is 21 days, 30 days in a month, in someone's whole entire life to change your life, it's not much. Um, so we've got the Keto Reset Diet Cookbook and the Keto Reset Diet Instant Pot Cookbook, both available on Amazon. If you get all three, you're set for, (laughs) you're set, you're actually set for life (laughs) pretty much. Um, what else would you like to leave our audience with about keto or, or these books and, and uh, the work you're doing? Well, what I'd really like to say about, you know, when we just said that that keto diet is not hard, um, I, Mark and I both feel really strongly that keto is something that you should try for your, that everyone should put on their bucket list. You don't have to make it a, a lifelong commitment by any means, but it's something you should try because the benefits of keto are really vast. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that the keto diet is possibly... Um, you know, health promoting and longevity promoting. And it's just another tool that you can have in your toolbox. So if if you're a person who cares about health, if you're a person that cares about longevity, if you're a person who cares about, you know, athletic performance, you know, all the things that I know our listeners really care about, then it's a real shame not to try to add this to your arsenal of health tools. But I do really want to stress that it's just a tool. And one of the reasons I think that people sometimes struggle with keto is because they think that, you know, they've tried so many different diets and that keto is going to be the one that is kind of unlocks the magic. And keto is great. I mean, I started it in, you know, really seriously over a year and a half ago, intending it to be, you know, a a six or eight week experiment. And I never really stopped um, because I really like how I feel and I'm flexible about it. But, you know, if you look, took a big picture approach, you know, keto is probably my home diet, if you will. Um, but food in and of itself is not enough to make you healthy. It's an essential part of a healthy lifestyle, but, you know, people come to me and they say, I'm eating 50 grams, 40 grams, 30 grams of carbs every day. And, you know, my health is still not great. I'm still not losing weight or whatever, you know, it is that they're hoping to accomplish. But they're sleeping five hours a night. Their job is super stressful. They have small children. You know, they're a lot of times they're actually over-exercising. It's not that they're not, they're sedentary. They're, they've gone too far in the other direction. So, you know, the keto diet or the primal diet is one piece of a puzzle, but food cannot be the only thing that you're really working on if health or weight loss or athletic performance or longevity or any of these things is your goal. And if you feel like your diet's not working and you're really trying to eat healthy, it's probably not the food where the, you know, the sticking point is. So I'd really encourage people to use food wisely, but to really think beyond the diet to, to understand why they may or may not be, you know, working towards their goals. 
Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you touched on that. I think uh, it's, yeah, it's in the Keto Reset book where I talk about this a little bit. But so, you know, people contact me all the time. I've done keto for this long. It's not working. I'm getting fatter. In the event that that's something's not working for you in a primal or keto way, you know, after a couple of months of of adhering to it, then you have to look further. Like you Mm -hmm. said, food can't cure everything. So for examples, heavy metals affect mitochondrial, you know, Mm -hmm. function and fat burning, Um, thyroid problems. For the people that are on thyroid medication that might be listening and want to zap some extra fat, this is what I say to everybody. If you are hypo and you're still trying to solve that problem and you still have symptoms other than the weight then you cannot ask your body to get into a metabolic state of which it has no platform to because you have no fat-burning T3 in your body. Mm -hmm. So get optimized on thyroid hormone first, then try to get fat adapted, be primal, clean it out. And at some point, if you're like, okay, I'm feeling great, but yeah, you know what? I got fat while I was uh, hypo there for how many years, and I need to zap some extra stuff, and I want to take it to a new level, then you can. But then in that event... If you go longer than eight weeks with it, um, then you are going to want to check in with labs because you actually might become T3 efficient and need to lower your medication. Mm -hmm. So it's just something I like to point out. The other thing, too, is there could be a hormonal imbalance of any kind that's affecting weight, um, any life changes, or in general, just hormone imbalance. So I I love that you pointed that out. It's a tool, but if it's not working to kind of really make you feel great after you know a reasonable period of time, then look into getting uh, a a visit with a good functional MD, even a primal MD, someone who can evaluate everything on a whole. You know, sometimes things go too far and no amount of food is going to fix it. Um, and there might be another component. It could just be a supplement. In my case, gosh, some moments in my life, it's been something dumb, just optimizing, <laughs> optimizing a nutrient level, uh-huh. like something so stupid that took like a $10 bottle of something. You know what I mean? You never know there could be something going on. So I love that you that you left our audience with that. And I wanted to just top that off. Thank you so much for coming on, Lindsay Taylor. We can find you on social media, Instagram, with the handle of The Useful Dish. The Useful Dish um, is my one, for and what's sure. Your, what's your, what are you working on right now? So the other thing I do with Mark is that I run our Facebook communities. I am the head moderator. I like to say I'm the benevolent overlord of our Facebook communities. So Right now, we are gearing up. It's December of 2018. We are gearing up for our Keto Reset kickoff, which will be taking place in our Keto Reset Facebook group. Um, So if people are hearing this before January 6th, 2019, they can head to primalkitchen.com slash Keto Reset. And I know we'll put that in the show notes um, to sign up for the Keto Reset kickoff. And what that is, is it's just basically a seven-day introductory course that is delivered to your inbox that will kind of give you all the nuts and bolts of keto and the basics of the keto reset diet approach. So what is keto and why did Mark and Brad design the keto reset diet approach the way they did? And some kind of basic troubleshooting, kind of everything you need to decide if the keto reset diet is for you. So if you're kind of thinking about keto in 2019 and are just not sure you understand it very well, you're a little bit on the fence, definitely head over and sign up for that. You can always find me in the Keto Reset Diet Facebook group. And there's a couple. So um, just make sure that when you click when you click through that it will say immediately, this is Mark Sisson's group. That's the one you want. And starting on January 15th, no, yes, 15th of 2019, we will be doing a very um, low-key Keto Reset in there. So it's going to be self-paced. 
um, because again, we don't think there's one version of the keto reset diet for everybody. And we really think that people need to approach this kind of start where you are. Right. So some people may be ready to jump in. Some people may take a little bit longer, but I will be there to give guidance and support and encouragement. I am currently assembling an excellent team of primal health coaches who are into keto, who will also be helping me with this. So that's going to be running basically January through the end of February in our keto reset diet group. And even if you're not totally ready to go keto, or let's say you're already keto, but you're just, you just feel like it could be better, or you're just not sure that you're doing it right. Always find me in the keto reset diet group. That's the best way to come and find me and ask me questions directly. That's so excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, you can go to the primalblueprint.com, look at our books also on amazon.com as well. Um, Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too it's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park as they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure. 